You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. Thank you, Jay. Can we all clap for Jay? I put him on the spot. And he, that, was, that was awesome. Also, can we clap for all the VBS volunteers who set this all up behind me? Like, I... Thank you, Jen. Thank you, team. You know, I, uh, I walked in this morning with just this big grin on my face because I was going to be preaching next to a set of dice. And I just thought that was wonderful because I haven't done that before. So it's a new, a new time. Uh, new things are happening. And so good morning, church. Again, it's, it's a, a joy to be here with you this morning. My wife and I have been here since December with you all, and it's been a joy. Um, so much has happened since December. We had a baby, for one, that was pretty big, or I should say my wife had a baby. Um, I watched and was afraid, and, um, and we've, uh, our apartment has flooded. We've been taken into a, another family as a displaced people group. Uh, can we all just clap for the Copelands for a second? Where are Scott and Kathleen? Just, hey, I know this is embarrassing them, but like we just, we feel like it's accelerated that family process when you're actually living with a family from the church. So they've gotten to know us pretty well. We've gotten to know them pretty well. And so it's been a joy. So we just wanted to say thank you, church. And it's a joy to be with you all this morning. Uh, Last Sunday, Gary got to talk to us about the paraclete. And he was talking about the Holy Spirit as our advocate and our helper. And let's, if we're honest, we all need a lot of help. Can I get an amen? Amen. I mean, I need a lot of help, and I can amen, amen that myself. Uh, this morning, I'm looking at God as pruner, the Father as a pruner. And if we're honest with ourselves again, there are some things in our lives that need to be pruned out. Like if they aren't pruned out, could cause all sorts of issues down the line. And so God is a good pruner, and he's a pruner who loves us. He's not just this, uh, this malicious pruner that's like, oh, you're having fun there? Well, let me put a stop to that. <laughs> God's not like that. He's a loving father that loves his children the way that I love my child, Selah Grace, there in the back. And when she smiles at me, it just lights up my heart, and it's beautiful. And I think the father loves us even more than I love my daughter, and so If you are uncertain of that father's love this morning, I want you to hear that there's a father in heaven who loves you and is pruning you for your own good to make you more fruitful and more beautiful. And this father loves you. Um, This morning, I want to ask you all a question. I want to start with a question, and it's going to require some participation with your your neighbors. And so just be prepared to maybe turn and talk. But um, I want to ask you a question. So if you were going to spend a last, like, say, two hours with someone that you really loved, maybe a grandchild or a, a niece or a nephew or someone that you just really cared about, and you got to spend two hours with them before they went on a trip overseas or somewhere where there's no Wi-Fi, um, which is becoming a fewer and far between place. Like most everywhere has Wi-Fi now. But if they were going somewhere that you weren't going to be able to talk to them for two years, what would you say to them and what would you do with them? What would you say to them and what would you do with them? And I'm going to give you 30 seconds to talk to your neighbor right now. What would you say? What would you do with the person you weren't going to see for two years? All right. I didn't actually look at the clock to see when 30 seconds actually was, but that, that kind of felt like 30 seconds. And if, uh, 
If it's not, I'm sorry. So, I, uh, some time ago, I went to a, a memorial service in my hometown of Squim. And this was a memorial service for a woman who truly loved God and truly loved people. And her family read to us some of her final words to us, and they weren't actually her words. They actually came out of Hebrews. And these words were, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of God on the throne of God. And I just... I. It was the setting, the setting of this memorial service, this, this woman's last words to all of us through the scriptures that she wanted to leave us all with, that I, I heard these words in a different way. Like most of us have read Hebrews chapter 12, verse one. We've, we've heard that and two, we're aware of this text, we're familiar with it, but it was the setting in which I heard these verses where it went to a deeper place in my heart. It was one of those places where I was like, you know what, she is passed on, she's with God, the father who loves her and loves us, but I am not, and we are not, and we are still here. And God still has stuff for us to do because he's not done with us yet. And I heard those words in a new way because of the setting in which they were read. And I went, wow, thank you, God, for this. That was so beautiful. In John chapter 15, this is what smart people uh, scholars call the heart of the farewell discourses. This is the heart of the farewell discourses where John spends five chapters, like this is John spends five chapters in the book of John, putting us face to face with Jesus, who is just a few hours away from crucifixion on a cross. These are, these are some of his last words to his disciples before he went to that cross and, and on a horrific crucifixion. And so this one night, and John's gospel literally takes up 25% of his entire book, which is, if you think about it, that's pretty serious. Like if I spent 25% of everything I was talking about on one thing, you'd be like, that's probably pretty important to Piper. So, so John spends 25% in these last few hours, like literally just a few hours for a quarter of the book. And I believe it's profound. Jesus knew his time on earth was short, and so he wanted to leave his disciples with some of the things that I believe he felt were most important. And so as we go to Jesus now and we look at what he was doing, I want to ask the question, what did he say and what did he do? And as we come to Jesus in prayer this morning, ask him to open up your heart in a brand new way. Maybe like me in that memorial setting uh, for a friend back in Squim, where I heard some words that I heard many times before, but I heard them in a new way. Ask God to open up your, your heart this morning to his scriptures, and I pray that you would hear these words from John in a brand new way. Would you pray with me now? Heavenly Father, we, we love you so much. Jesus, we love you so much. We know that you are a good God who loves us. You are a good father who loves his children. And you want what's best for us, Lord. You want what's best for your kids. And we don't want to make light of that. God, I thank you so much for your, for your words and your truth. And Lord, I pray that they would speak to our hearts in a profound and special and deep way this morning as we, as we hear from last hour's Jesus before he goes to the cross for the sins of the world, Lord. 
And so we want to say that we love you. And Holy Spirit, I say, I just need your help. Um, like Gary preached last week, Lord, I just pray that you would, you would prune me, prune my words, prune my heart this morning as we all just come to you and worship as we come before your words. In Jesus' name, amen. John chapter 15, verses 1 through 3 says this, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the new word I have spoken to you. Because of the word I have spoken to you. I believe at this point, every good little Jewish boy and girl uh, growing up at that time who went to synagogue would have noticed a number of kind of disturbing to fairly disturbing things in what, what Jesus had just said. And most notably, that Jesus was the vine. Jesus claims to be the vine. He says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. In John, there are seven critical I am statements. And this is the seventh and final I am statement. These are Jesus' final hours. And it concludes and culminates with this one. Throughout the Old Testament, Israel is referred to as the vine. And now Jesus is using the vine language for himself. He's essentially saying, I am true Israel. I am the true Israelite who's pursued justice and set the captives free. I am true Israel. I'm the Israel that Israel could never be. And here I am embodying in front of you. And this would have been shocking. And if we aren't familiar with that vine language, we can lose, we can lose some of this. So I want to take us back to the Old Testament in Isaiah. Or actually, we're going to start in Psalms and then we're going to go to Isaiah. But it says this. This is some vine language talking about Israel as a vine. You transplanted a vine from Egypt... You drove out the nations and planted it. Psalm 80, verse 8. And then Isaiah says this, I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Now you dwellers in Jerusalem and people of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more could, I, could have been done for my, my vineyard than what I have done for it? When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? Now I will tell you what I am going to do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge and it will be destroyed. I will break down its wall and it will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated, and briars and thorns will grow there. I will command the clouds not to rain on it. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel. And the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. And he looked for justice, but he saw bloodshed. For righteousness, but he heard cries of distress. So Israel essentially goes wild and needs some serious, serious pruning. They're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. And if you've read Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, we know that Israel was blessed to be a blessing for the sake of the world. They weren't simply blessed to be blessed. They were blessed to be a blessing. And there's a huge difference. There's a huge difference. Like, oh, I'm, I'll receive these blessings. This is great. This is going so well for my life. No, I am blessed and you are blessed, if you know the Father, to be a blessing to the world. 
were called to be a blessing, and Israel forgot their, their holy purpose and their holy mission. They had neglected justice and denied their true calling. They were just producing wild grapes. So what does final hours Jesus want us to know? What does final hours Jesus want us to know? And here's my first big point. God prunes those he loves. God prunes those he loves. I lived in New Zealand for close to four years in uh, early 2010 to attend a Bible college um, in Auckland. And in the summers, I would travel down to the South Island where there was more heat. It had a, a, a temperature and climate setting that was close to like maybe Sonoma or Napa, California. And I went to go and work on a, a vineyard there. It was, it was pretty amazing being a vineyard hand and going to Bible college at the same time. There's just something super biblical about that. And I loved it. Um, and on one of the days, I was there with a, a number of other international workers. We were working in the, in the vineyard together, and we were pruning. We were pruning out wild branches and, and tendrils and, like, even bad fruit. Um, we were just going through and removing all this excess garbage that would actually cause the plant to not thrive. And if fruit was bunched too close together, moisture could get in, and it would get wet, and this mildew would spread from one to the other. And so if you didn't cut a little bit of that, of that moistery, mildewy nastiness out, it would just spread and cause rot and death to, to spread. During this time, as I was out pruning, I encountered um, two of the most magnificent clusters of grapes in the whole vineyard to this point. Um, this, this is me, a much younger man with a little bit more hair, and, uh, <laughs> and out, out in, a, in a, a vineyard. And I encountered two just beautiful clusters of grapes on the little tiniest branch that you had ever seen. And this was at a time in the season where no other clusters of grapes had really formed on any of the branches out there. So here is this little tiny branch with two clusters of grapes growing. And I just, I called my boss over because I was like, man, these are beautiful grapes. And I was like, Craig, what should I do? And I, I don't want to try the Kiwi accent, uh, but he was like, he was like, mate, you need to clip them both off. And I think that was more Australian. It's been a long time since I've been there. I'm sorry to Celeste if you're out there. That was terrible. My apologies. So, but I said, what should I do, Craig? And he was like, cut them both off. And I said, you're joking me, right? These are the two most beautiful clusters of grapes I've seen in my whole, t whole time here, which has been like one month. You know, I've not seen anything like this. I know what I'm doing. You don't know what you're doing. You just, yeah, you're just the gardener. You just know all. And I said, how could I do this? And he was like, you know what? In about a month, those, those two clusters of grapes are going to grow to a size that that wee little branch cannot sustain, and that wee little branch is going to get ripped off the vine. And so if you don't clip those two bunches of grapes off, it's going to kill, it's going to kill what's there. You're actually protecting the life of this little tiny branch by, by pruning it right off. And so with huge reluctance and a heavy heart, I just went, okay, I guess you're the boss. Um, and I, I logged that away in my brain. It just, it didn't seem right. It did not seem right. But you know what? I think about this and what a, what a vivid picture of the Christian's life. What a beautiful picture of the Christian's life. God actually prunes those he loves for their own good. God prunes those he loves for their own good, whether that's, that's sin, maybe that sin just needs to get pruned right out of your life, or maybe it's good things that you're doing that God's like, I want you actually to be more fruitful, so I'm going to take some of this out so this can become a little better. 
The heavenly vine dresser deeply cares for his branches. And so when we're talking about pruning and clipping and cutting, that's never fun. But we're talking about this from a father that loves his child, that profoundly loves his child and is doing it for that child's own good. Hebrews says it like this. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves. The Lord disciplines those he loves. And so pruning is a very important part of Christian living. And God, the gardener, isn't up there just pruning you just for the sake of pruning you to have fun. He's up there as a loving father can only do. And he wants to to prune all the stuff that's going to suck the life out of you. He wants Jesus to be the life that flows out of you, not not mildew or all this other garbage. He's like, I got to cut that out so that Christ can simply be the one who shines through you. And so pruning is a true sign of love. It's a sign of relationship with the gardener. Now, I absolutely hate going to the doctor to get blood drawn. Does does anyone out there love going to the doctor to get blood drawn? Oh my gosh. Okay. Yeah. So I keep that just to yourself, you know, just <laughs> future. So, um, yeah, don't, I wouldn't share that around. So I, I absolutely hate going to the, the doctor or whoever to get my blood drawn because it's a painful process. And I think what's even more painful about going to the doctor to get your blood drawn is the fact that you don't know when they're going to poke you. Like, you're like, is it coming now? Is it coming now? Is it coming now? Is it coming now? Is it? And then you, you just get so worked up. You're like, oh, is, when is this poke coming? And then some years ago, I was getting my blood drawn, and they invented this new line, which saved my heart so much pain and anguish, when the nurse says, hey, you're going to feel a little poke right now. And I just went, thank you. Thank you for letting me know. I didn't have to, you know, she had walked away and come back and then looked like she was. And, and it was just causing all this anxiety and pain in my heart. Because I'm like, when is this poke coming? When is it going to happen? And like, and when it happened, it actually wasn't as bad as when, when I was ang- like anxious about it. It was so much less painful than when it, when it actually happened. And so I feel there's a, a verse, John 16, 33, that kind of takes the anxiety out of the poke. But then it also gives comfort to the person who knows that, hey, there's, there is a pope coming. And Jesus says this in John 16, I have told you these things so that in me, you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Take heart. I have overcome the world. So tough times are guaranteed. And, and both Jay and, and Gary uh, mentioned this in the last two weeks. And I just felt like this is something that I wanted to share as well. Because um, there are times in our lives that are going to feel a whole lot like winter. Winter at a vineyard where everything goes dormant and everything is, is dead on the surface. You, you see no life coming. There's nothing good growing. There's nothing, uh, no fruit being produced. And everything looks dead to the, the untrained eye. But there's actually a gardener who can see beyond that. And there's actually a lot of activity going on beneath the surface. And I believe that in our Christian lives, there will be times where you're going to go through a winter season that's going to be just totally painful with no fruit. But if you've professed Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you haven't lost your salvation. You might just be in a winter season. The gardener still loves you and he's right there with you. He's guaranteed us that troubles will come. 
And so it almost in a way, like, I know that verse, it can sound like a real downer of a verse, like in this world, you will have trouble. But for me, it's like one of the most comforting verses that I've ever heard because I realize I'm like, okay, I should maybe be a little bit more thankful when it's not painful, you know, and when things are going well and the sun is shining, um, I should be a little bit more thankful because he's guaranteed that there are going to be difficult things in this world, but to also take heart that he has overcome the world and he's right there with me. I believe God can use these times when we don't see fruit in our lives, when we don't see uh, ministry success or success in the lives of our grandkids, our nieces or nephews or any, anything else. And we're just praying for them, but we don't see anything happening on the surface. And this is a time where I believe God is drawing us in deeper into a deeper place that we've never been before. He's taking us down deeper. He's building roots into himself in a way that will sustain us for the long haul. And we just, maybe we just can't see it because it's a winter season in our life. And there are going to be times when we say, how long, O Lord, because it doesn't make any sense at all. And we have to trust the gardener's pruning and process, even when it makes no sense. And we want to say, God, is there any other way? And I know he hears those prayers. There will be also times in our Christian life where God will literally need to save you from yourself. And he's maybe he's pruning sin out of your life that would crush you and kill you so that you can become more like Jesus. You know, Israel continually needed pruning for the sake of its mission. That Genesis 12, 1 through 3, where they were blessed to be a blessing. They had to go into exile and they got, you know, they got all shook up over there. And then when they came back, both in the north and the south, after that second exile, they came back united again and God was doing things there. It looked really horrific and it was. I'm not saying the, the situation was good, but God brought good out of that situation. And he was using Israel to be a blessing to all the nations inside the church and outside the church. And I believe that Christians, I should say, are pruned for the sake of the world. We are pruned for those who are inside the church and outside of the church. And this leads me to my second really big point in that God is pruning and preparing his people for the purposes of blessing the world. God is pruning and preparing his people for the purposes of blessing the world. He's not just pruning you to pruning, prune you. He's pruning you to be a blessing to the world around you. Since Genesis 3, God has been lovingly pruning his people for the purpose of blessing the world. Christ-like Christian fruit in our life looks like growing in Christ-like character. Like in Galatians 5, and 23, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Jesus wants to prune the things out of our lives that don't look like that. And lots of things in my life don't look like that. And he wants to prune that right out of my life. I mean, what would it look like if we were people that assumed the best of other people because we were just patiently journeying with them? Or what if people were patiently journeying with us? I know I need patient journeying with. Uh, my wife has been married to me for almost nine years, and I'm so thankful for her. Uh, she patiently loves me, and that's a gift. When you become more like Jesus, everybody wins. When you become more like Jesus, everybody wins, and the Father is glorified. As we go into our next couple of verses here, I want you to pay attention to repeated words and phrases. And I'm not going to ask that question again for a little bit. So you're going to have to really pay attention because it's going to be a couple minutes before I ask this question again about the repeated word and phrase that you heard. But as I read the next section here, pay attention to repeated words and phrases. Jesus says this, abide in me as I also abide in you. 
No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must abide in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not abide in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. I want to pause here for just a second and focus on verse 6. It says, if you do not abide in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. And this can be a controversial text. This is a text where people that, that love God, that are good and godly people, as, as Gary calls them, um, can say that you, this is where it says you can lose your salvation. But as I read it and understand it, this verse is not actually talking about someone who is genuinely saved. And if we think of the context, we think of the setting, like there was a Judas in this group. Judas had left before Jesus was saying this, but I believe Jesus was referring to Judas who was in that group, but he was actually not really with them. He had a relationship with Jesus, but he didn't know Jesus. He knew facts about Jesus, but there was nothing beyond that. And as Judas left, I believe this text is talking about someone who had an idea or maybe had a passing knowledge of Christ, but didn't have a real and saving relationship. Here at Grace, and even in, in my own heart, you, I just can say from the scriptures, I firmly believe that you cannot lose your salvation. On your, your worst day, when you feel like you're the least Christian that you've ever been, God the Father is crazy about you. He loves you. He loves his child. You cannot lose your salvation. So don't, don't, don't hear me say that. None of us are going to teach that here, but there are good and godly people that believe that. But I just, I wanted to address that before we kept going. Verse 7 says this, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Jesus again reaffirms what he says in John 14, 13 through 14. And he says, whatever you ask for in my name, this I will do that the father may be glorified. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And I have realized, like, as, as you've been a Christian for any length of time, you, you actually begin to want more of what the Father wants. What, what you want looks more like what God the Father wants. And you know what's so funny about this is I used to always pray uh, it, as a little kid, um, like, Jesus, uh, in Jesus' name I pray, amen, because... Um, that's just what I thought you did at the end of prayers. I would mindlessly pray that without actually knowing why, but that's where it comes from. And the longer you've been journeying with Jesus, the more your desires, the desires of your heart are going to look like his. Let's keep going. John 15 verses 8 through 10. This is my father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Christian fruit is about the refinement of our character and the quality of our work. Here, Jesus makes it known that, that good trees produce good fruit. When you're connected to Jesus, the vine, the source of life, Good things are to come out of that, like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, good, all those things, all the fruit of the Spirit when you're connected to the vine. 
Now, I know this was a little while ago, but I, I asked you to pay attention to repeated words and phrases. But what was one of those repeated words or phrases that you all heard in this, in this text that we just read? And you can just shout it out at me. What were one of those repeated words or phrases? Abide. 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 Thank you. Thank you. You all, you all win. Like, good job. That was, um, abide. And so this is, abide is actually my big point number three that I think final hours Jesus wants us to hear. And abide comes from the Greek word meno. And it means to sit, stay, dwell, abide, be present, and remain. Sit, stay, abide, be present, and remain. To me, this sounds like a picture of a perfectly trained golden retriever. Like, I, that's just where my brain goes. Like a perfectly trained golden retriever. Let me say there's some wild ones out there. But you know, when you have a trained golden retriever, you throw that ball and the dog's like, yeah, let me get after that ball. I'm going to go get that ball and I'm going to bring it back to you as fast as I can. Like, do you, do you want me to get that stick for you? Because I can get that stick for you. You want me to catch that ball? I'll go, I'll go here. I'll go there. I'll sit. I'll stay. I'll play dead. I'll lay down. Whatever, you know? It's like that golden retriever just wants to be next to his master. Just wants to be next to the one who loves him and feeds him and cares for him and clothes him. Not clothes him. That's too far. Like, don't, that's, yeah. But here's, here's what I believe a perfect picture of someone who's, who's just abiding in the unhurried love of the Lord. It looks like, I think, like a little golden retriever. And when Jesus says sit, sometimes you need to sit. And when he says stay, sometimes you need to stay. And I would say, what would our lives look like if we were just cuddled up next to Jesus like a golden retriever was next to its master and just saying, I just want to be next to you. Like, I really just want to know you. I want to do the things that you want me to do. And I want to go to the places that you would want me to go. I just want to be right here next to you, Jesus. What would our lives look like if we lived like that? Did you know that Americans, this is a fun fact. Did you know that Americans as a whole are literally the worst people on the planet at resting? Like literally the worst people on the planet at resting. Americans actually work 600 hours more a year than the French. Now, total aside, don't hear me say anything. If it wasn't for the French, I believe we'd all be speaking, still be speaking with British accents. So thank you to France. Like much, much thanks to France. Like 1776, my heart goes out to you. Thank you. So um, I believe, though, that we as Americans are way too focused on tasks and achievement and striving and doing X, Y, and Z and getting all this stuff done. And we do so much that we end up, get heart, we end up getting heart disease and dying. So there you go. We won. We won. We got all the heart disease and all the dying. And yeah, we buy into as Americans like, hey, if I'm, if I'm busy, I, I must have value. Like, if I'm busy, if I'm doing things, like I, I, must, I must be important. I, I must matter. And I think we tend to admire workaholics. And this mindset can also trickle into the Christian life when those who forget their identity as a love child of God who is living and responding from the Father's love and living out of that, not trying to earn the Father's love, but living from that, go and say, Look, oh, I just got to do all this stuff to make the, you know, the Father proud of me or people impressed with me. No. You know, if we're just trying to stay busy for, for Jesus, that's just going to produce wild grapes. Years ago, I was uh, pruning a hedge, 
and I was enjoying, I was probably listening to music. I was in the zone and I was pruning this hedge and I was pruning it along so well and just hedging it that I hedged right through the electrical cord. <laughs> How do you think that went? Like, has anyone else done this? Okay, thank you. Thank you for raising your hand on that one. That was a good time to raise your hand. So, I, know, I know that someone's actually tried to run off with Linda's hedger at one point, but I actually hedged through my electrical cord and all the, all the power stopped. And what's a, a, just a really poignant, beautiful picture is that if you're disconnected from the source of life, there's not going to be any power going through what you're doing. Like you're like, oh, I'm doing all the right things. I'm going through the right motions, but there's no power there. There's no sense of freedom. There's no sense of like joy. There's no sense of that things are moving along. It's just like, I'm just hacking at this bush with my own strength. And it didn't go that well for me. Now, because there was only like two of you that raised your hands, there was only two of you that have gone through your electrical cord. I, maybe something more relevant for us is that, you know, maybe God has given us a, like a 75-foot cord. You know, he's given us a 75-foot cord to go out and prune things. And we're like, Lord, I'm just going to go out and prune this, this 75 feet that you have given me. And he was like, I want you to make this 75 feet awesome. Like, just, just go, go at it. Like, just shape the 75 feet into just whatever it is that, that is on your heart. And I'm going to be there with you, shaping you, guiding you through the Holy Spirit. And you're like, okay, that's awesome. But then we're like, oh, but God, what about, what about this over here? Like, what, you know, like 75 feet, that's kind of rough. Like, I want to go 100 feet because that just sounds like an A+. Like, God, just let me, let me go 100 feet for you. I just want to go out and do all this stuff. And what's wild is, like, we've actually, we've disconnected ourselves from the source. Like, we've pulled out that electrical power, and we're just, like, hacking around, and we haven't lost relationship with God. We've just gone beyond what he's asked us to do. If he's asked us to stay right here, we need to stay right here. We need to sit, stay, and abide in what he has for us. And we're like, oh, but Lord, what about this, that, and the other thing? And I've seen some of the, the like, the least fruitful times in my life where I just tried to do too much. And I don't know if you all can relate to that. We're like, I just want to, oh, this, that, and the other thing. And God's just like, sit and stay here. <laughs> just be with me right here. You're doing beautiful things. You don't need to go beyond this. Stay right here. Stay right here. Abiding asks, do you want to actually live a life of eternal value? Jesus says, take my yoke upon you for it is light. Will you sit and stay and go where I ask you to? We are to live and to do what he wants us to do, not just what we think we should be doing. Eugene Peterson says this, if you don't take a Sabbath, if you don't sit and stop and, and abide, something is wrong. You're, you're doing too much. You're being too much in charge. You've got to quit. Just one day a week, just watch what God is doing when you're not doing anything. Here's another fun fact. Do you know that people who take a Sabbath, like a full 24 hours off, statistically live 11 years longer than those of us who don't? And that's crazy. I've seen a real movement in this generation of practicing the Sabbath again, and Rhonda has not paid me to say this, but you can join a community group that practices the Sabbath coming this September. So just, just join that, and maybe she'll, uh, she'll give me a commission or something for that when you join the group. But go out, check that out. Jesus' desire, his ultimate desire, is for us to rest in him, to abide in him. Corey Tenboom says this, If the devil cannot make us bad, he will make us busy. If the devil cannot make us bad, he will make us busy. And so you and I were created for a deep relationship with God and deep relationship with others in community. 
And I believe that busyness distorts that. And we as humans tend to distort just about everything, don't we? Gary reminded us last week that love and obedience are tied together. When we do this, healthy fruit of eternal value will come in its season. And it may not come in the timing or way we think it should come. We're like, oh, I wanted to be 100 feet out. And Jesus is like, just stay 75, just stay right here. But it will come. In my final season as a vineyard hand, I worked at a super fancy vineyard. And you can't tell that by the rustic hut that I'm living in. I'm very much single in this picture as well. Um, But I was sent out to prune fruit. And this time, it was a little bit different. I was sent out to prune beautiful fruit, but this time it was different. Previously, I had learned to trust the expert gardener that says that busy fruit that grows everywhere ends up being low quality fruit prone to disease and death, especially on small vines. And this time I was actually sent out to go and prune well-established vines and branches that could have easily held three or four clusters of grapes. I was sent out to go and prune this fruit. For me, this season was possibly more painful than, than the first season when I was asked to cut off little fruit that would actually keep the branch from dying. And I was asked to, be, to cut off beautiful clusters of fruit off of well-established, healthy branches. And I was like, I don't get this at all. And it was actually, it was through the afternoon that we were in the process of pruning all but one cluster of grapes off of these established branches that could have held so much more. And we were told to just cut all this fruit off of it except for one, one cluster of grapes. And I was like, I don't get why we're doing this. And we got sent out and I was like, this doesn't make sense at all. And then my boss came around at lunchtime. He, he just left me hanging out there. And he, was, he came around at lunchtime and said, you know what? You know why we're cutting off all this fruit off of these well-established branches? is because this is where the $100 bottle of New Zealand wine comes from. This is the $100 New Zealand bottles of wine. And you know what's actually uh, amazing is I I found this bottle of wine at Safeway in Squim, and it was on sale, but it would ruin my sermon illustration. It was still well beyond what I could afford, but um, it's 100 in New Zealand. It was a little bit less than Safeway. But removing all the other beautiful fruit on, on this, this branch actually allowed the vine to just pour all of its energy into producing one magnificent cluster of grapes. And this beautiful, magnificent cluster of grapes was able to put all of its sugar, all of its energy, all of its life into one magnificent thing. And so when that was harvested, it came and it produced some of the most beautiful wine that the world has ever seen. And from this this vineyard experience, from this vineyard moment, I have learned that at every age and every stage of the Christian life, we will be getting pruned. And getting pruned is painful. And I've got some really good news for you, though, about pruning. It doesn't stop. Okay, maybe that wasn't the good news that you were looking for. But at every age, every stage, you're going to be getting pruned. God wants to remove the sin from your life, and he also wants to remove the the things that aren't going to have the biggest kingdom value and impact in your life. He wants to turn you into what I would like to say, from taking you from a $3 bottle of Walmart wine into a $100 bottle of the good stuff found in a boutique. 
I believe that is the, the transformation in the Christian life. We go from a bottle, a $3 bottle of wine to a $100 bottle of wine that's continually poured out for his glory over the course of our lives. And that is what he is shaping us into. And it takes a master gardener and a master pruner to do that. And he'll do things that don't make sense to us. And sometimes it'll never be revealed to us, but we, we trust him in that. And this morning, if you've gone through a a painful, devastating season, I don't want to say that that painful, devastating thing is a good thing. It is not. It is terrible. But what is going to come from that? I believe that God will ultimately bring good from it for the, the good of the world and our good ourselves. He is pruning us even when it doesn't make sense. Jesus said, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. There is joy when we dwell in the steadfast love of Christ. It isn't connected to youth or health or or circumstances. It's about being connected to Jesus. Verse 12 says this, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. This is something that final hours Jesus wanted his people to know. You are my friends if you do what I command. And Jesus modeled radical love earlier in John 13 by washing his disciples' feet. And he says that the world will know you, you are my followers, by your love for one another. The gardener who prunes us is also a a friend of ours who literally loves us to death. And you can trust someone like that. You can trust someone who's willing to die, die for you. He's not trying to ruin your life. He's not trying to um, make it more painful. He's not trying to do things that you're like, I just don't, why? Like, how long, God? He loves you and wants you in his family. He wants you on his team. He loves you. He wants you to live from his love. Finally, he says this, I have no longer, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. You don't get chosen because of all the good things that you do. Running beyond what God would have you doesn't get you more bonus points. He's like, you know what? I want you to sit and stay right here with me. We need to dwell in the unanxious love of Christ. He loves you and wants you to live from his love. And if you don't know his love this morning, there's a father who's just desperately wanting your attention. He says, come, be my child, be in my family. I want you to be blessed, to be a blessing to the world. I love you. And Romans 10, 9 says that if anyone professes with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believes in their heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I think Christians, we like to make it so so difficult. Like, how do you come to Jesus? It's about professing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and there's a better way and he just wants you next to his side as you follow him and live your life and I know I've gone way over and I'm so sorry to everyone especially the worship team Um, but here are the three things that I want to leave you all with and this is the conclusion worship team you can come up I'll be pruning some things out of this sermon for round two you guys just won't get to see it if you came to the second service Firstly, these are the three things I want to leave you with, is that God continually prunes, so embrace this. God prepares those he loves to be poured out for his glory. He'll prune sin out of your life, and he'll even prune good things out of your life because he wants them to become more beautiful. 
We must obey and abide, and the Holy Spirit helps us to do this. So slow down. Listen for the gardener's voice. Finally, suffering is guaranteed, so choose joy beforehand. God desires to prune you into a $100 bottle of wine. I'm going to stop right here for now. Lord, thank you for your goodness. Thank you that we now have an opportunity to respond to your love, your fatherly love, and your fatherly invitation with singing. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. A couple of things. Next week, if you're in this room at 1045, you're doing the wrong thing. Or in two weeks, I'm sorry. Next, Church, next week. Next, next week. week. I'm sorry, I'm doing the wrong thing. Thank you, Sarah, for that pruning. I needed that. <laughs> Um, next week, Church on the Lawn, 1045, right outside. If you would like prayer this morning for anything, come. There are teams off to the side that would love to pray for you. Finally, I would like, actually, can we bring up the slide, Michael? I'd like us to all remain standing here as we read Psalm 1 together. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the part in blue. And then y'all come in at the white, and then we're going to keep reading through Psalm 1 here. And this is the kind of the closing benediction I want to leave with all of us. So, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, not all of us, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Church, if you know Jesus this morning, you are blessed to be a blessing. Now go and be a blessing. And I don't know if I have a catchphrase. It seems like people close these things with a catchphrase. My catchphrase, I guess, will be, don't be weird, just love Jesus. <laughs> don't be weird, just love Jesus. Now go and do that. Amen. Thank you for joining us for Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.